Welcome to the OSMA Talks podcast series, hosted by Oklahoma State Medical Association President, Dr. Larry Bookman, MD. Hello and welcome back. Over the last few months, I've been conducting a series of interviews of Oklahomans who are leading the effort to reverse the downward trend in Oklahoma's health outcomes. In this episode, my guest is Secretary of Health and Mental Health, Jerome Lothridge. Secretary Lothridge serves as Chief Advisor to Governor Stitt on public health issues with direct oversight of the Department of Health, the Department of Mental Health, and the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority. This is my interview with Secretary of Health and Mental Health, Jerome Lothridge. I want to welcome everybody back to OSMA Talks. Uh, today, we are honored to have uh, the Secretary of Health and Mental Health, Jerome Lawfridge, joining us. Um, first of all, welcome and thank you for accepting this position and hopefully changing the health of the state of Oklahoma, or at least helping. Uh, right now, we know that Oklahoma is ranked at, near the bottom or at the bottom, uh, 47th in the last health outcome rankings. 50th on the last health scorecard. Not good numbers. Can you talk in general about what we're going to do in this state to change the health and what some of your plans are? Sure, Dr. Bergman. Thank you, first of all, for having me. It's an honor. Uh, such an esteemed group uh, that you lead and have the honor of, uh, of shepherding uh, at the Oklahoma State Medical Association. Indispensable, I would add, for whatever efforts the governor has with respect to health outcomes. And that really is the focus. So the outcomes, uh, the rankings are derivative of the outcomes, but what we're most concerned about is the health, the flourishing of the humans within our borders. Uh, it is human flourishing uh, that we're after. But it is, uh, as you indicated, we have an uphill battle on so many of our indicators. So I think step one in the agenda is to focus on those things where we can move the needle. And I'll talk in, in a bit if we have some time on where the specific areas are. Uh, but indispensable to that is using data uh, and, and thinking through this. Uh, the governor comes from a business background, and I think that permeates everything that we have seen so far in his administration. But one of those is using actual fact, uh, not mythology, not fable, not rumor, uh, but facts and data to drive decision making and to then focus our efforts where we think we can be most effective. Uh, regrettably, we have uh, a whole panoply of areas where we can focus. So picking out those first four or five in conjunction with experts in the field uh, are how we're trying to approach uh, approach this. But there are those key areas where we think we can move the needle, and those are going to be where we focus most of our efforts. Outcomes are a result of processes. Um, I was honored and fortunate to serve on the governor's transition health team, um, and we talked about that extensively during our meetings. Before you can get to outcomes, you have to start with basics. And some of the basics in Oklahoma relate to education, relate to access, relate to personal responsibility and decision-making. What do you see as the state's role in helping each of those? Um, indispensable to this whole uh, challenge is the education piece. And we have an awful lot of resources to bring to bear on that. If you just think about, for instance, TSET, uh, dollars that are set aside from TSET and what we can do effectively to leverage those within its mission, within its charter, toward education, 
uh, we can do some really interesting things around that. But even more broadly, one impediment is when we think from a government standpoint about our individual missions as being separate, uh, we have completely missed the boat. So let me take this example. The focus in the, in the cabinet right now is how can we best uh, break down the lines between, for instance, agriculture, education, health, and human services cabinets. Now, those are separate by nomenclature. They have different leadership. But I think the refreshing thing, hopefully, that Oklahoma will see happen is, uh, by virtue of, of the profile that the governor's brought into his cabinet, uh, none of us, at least in our current formation, uh, have any of the sort of uh, vested interest in, in any of the existing structures. We don't know any better, put in another way, than to work together. Uh, and so Blaine Arthur at Agriculture, as an example, my colleague, uh, Mike Rogers, uh, Steve Buck, uh, we simply don't know any better than that we have processes that lead to outcomes, so let's make them work. And so I think what you'll see forthcoming uh, is a great deal of collaboration aimed at the health and flourishing of, of Oklahomans rather than what could be the alternative, which is building up you know, individual fiefdoms or kingdoms. That happens in government, regrettably, it happens in the private sector too. Uh, but for our purposes, step one is figure out how we pool the limited resources we have, bring them to bear on the focused projects that we have in front of us, uh, and not, not act like a government. And that's a great segue into a question that many of us have, and I certainly have, in that we have multiple agencies, as you have talked about, each with their own heads. Fiefdom is a great way to look at it. They don't communicate at all or very little in the past. We have a new commissioner of health, Gary Cox. Um, you are the secretary of health and mental health. Um, with the Department of Health, all the other agencies that really come to bear and are really looking at some of the same patients, even though they're being divided among different agencies. Is there any thought? Has there been any plans to try to combine these agencies under your leadership? to try to be more efficient, to try to be more effective uh, for the state of Oklahoma. Sure. Um, to be sure, uh, everything on the table, uh, again, you have a governor who has come at this from a very different background, uh, uh, just a, an exceedingly pragmatic one that says, how do we get to human flourishing? Let me come at that a slightly different way, um, Dr. Berkman, and, and talk about the patient experience. So you're in the business of, of caring for, for individuals. Too often, I think government misses the boat on that and doesn't think at all about what is the citizen experience. So we have started this journey not thinking as much about how to put together government structures, but thinking of it in the, through the lens of what does the average Oklahoman have to do to avail herself to the services that we have in the first instance. Well, that's led to a couple of interesting outcomes. Ultimately, it may be that some of these structures um, collapse one into the other. I'm not sure on that yet, but what I can tell you we've already done in recognition of the fact that an Oklahoman ought to be able to access these services in a fundamentally different way than we have in the past, is we have styled this as front porch, uh, the front porch approach to health and human services. And recently, you may have seen an announcement that one of our uh, professionals from within government, Tom Bates, who had served as the interim uh, head of the uh, Oklahoma State Department of Health, uh, has been appointed as a gubernatorial level um, appointee to head up an effort to say what barriers are in the way of an Oklahoman accessing, whether it's Medicaid services or 
any of the services availed through the human services or early childhood components of the cabinet or mental health services, critical, vital substance abuse services. We have started this, and I think this derives from the governor's orientation out of business. What is the customer experience or what is the citizen experience? And until we have a sense of that, um, whatever we might do to put the structures together, I think is probably um, at, at best ill-informed and maybe misguided. And so our, our orientation is to think first, walk the path of a citizen trying to access services and think about all of the social determinants of health mm-hmm. that are critical components. Uh, if she is in need of services, how does she get there? Um, what are the conditions of housing, as an example here? Uh, our incarcerated population we know regrettably leads, or I would say lags the nation. Well, what is the experience when someone leaves corrections and tries to enter uh, the private economy again? What what barriers do we put up to success? It's already a high bar, but have we erected walls rather than stairs to get there? So I think uh, our approach of thinking about what is the citizen experience, even to access the services that are available, is a first step. But it's one we're taking very seriously. We've put resources already toward it. And it happens to be the orientation of those of us who have kind of come from backgrounds with customers and clients at the center of our daily lives. I think that's probably an influence that you'll feel coming out in, in already early days are that, uh, that we're well underway on it. Uh, we haven't solved the problem, but that's our orientation. You know, that's brought up a lot of different uh, aspects of the healthcare problem in Oklahoma. Uh, one of the problems that we all talk about is rural healthcare, mm-hmm. the hospitals, access to care. Mm-hmm. The Oklahoma State Medical Association has tried to take the lead. We have a a program called Resolution 5 in which we have actually put our own money up to bring physicians into rural communities. And we've been successful in Guymon and Idabel. And we've combined with TSET, partnered with them. We've partnered with Blue Cross. Um, We uh, want to put more physicians because a physician not only allows access, but brings economic gain to that community. Um, Studies have shown almost $1.9 million in economic benefit to the community by having a physician there, as well as raising that community's personal uh, vision of itself uh, to have a hospital, to have a doctor. The state obviously is in a major problem with health care and access and the number of physicians. But one of the problems that we've had over the last several years through the legislature has been scope of practice, where because we don't have the doctors, we're wanting in some cases to give authority for independence to nurse practitioners, PAs, midwives, who don't have the training. What is your ideas, maybe the governor's ideas, as to providing quality health care, keeping that quality high so that we're not allowing um, health care providers to go beyond their level of education. Mm-hmm. To be sure, uh, the focus on physician um, provision in the state really ranks among the top three or four objectives within the health cabinet. I I should say I should have included one other colleague in my discussion about the conjoined efforts, and that's uh, Dr. Casey Shrum, uh, my colleague uh, who serves in 
the Science and Innovation Tower, but who has as her day as her day job, obviously, uh, medical education. Well, as we have worked together on this, our I would probably not go too far to say that among our combined efforts, um, physician education, um, training, um, the training specifically of residents, uh, we know the impact there. We know that when they train here, they stay here. And as you've highlighted this notion that uh, you know physicians aren't merely individual um, you know contributors even to the economy, they will always we think of them as small businesses, uh, individual, whether they're practicing within uh, an institution or individually. So the the benefits, especially to rural health, of the retention, the training first, and the retention of physicians is indispensable to how we think about health outcomes. So too are other things like telehealth and, and creative technology. But ultimately, if we're not training physicians and retaining physicians, uh, we're not gonna be able to get over the hurdle. So I would say that that is absolutely front of mind to us. Um, some of the other ways to solve the issue, I think, are subordinated in our minds to figuring out the smartest way to get the dollars into the system where we can train physicians uh, and specifically residents. So I've learned more about uh, graduate medical education uh, in the last six months than I thought there was to learn. I'm only yet begun on this, but we're taking so seriously the, 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 the training and education of Oklahoma physicians that it really rises to the very top. To put it another way, we don't think we can solve some of these issues if we don't have that component uh, squarely in our sights. And that leads directly into money. Money is always behind everything we do. There is, uh, the legislature has formed a legislative work group to talk about expanding the federal dollars, uh, whether you want to use the term Medicaid expansion, which seems to always be uh, uh, not wanting to be used at the, at the legislature level, uh, but maximizing federal dollars is a term that has been used or coined. Do you feel that this legislative work group will be successful? We have a petition out there. Sure. The petition is for a constitutional amendment. The legislature would be a more nimble, quicker way to adopt as well as change if we need to in the future. What is your opinion of the legislative work group and what the success of the legislature will be given its past history? You bet. Well, I have a great deal of faith. Uh, ultimately, this is all about leadership, isn't it? Um, I would say that from the governor through his appointees in the executive branch, ultimately, whether we're successful or not depends on leadership. The same holds true in the legislature. Um, I am very glad that it happens that the leaders in that particular segment are folks that I have a great deal of faith in. Uh, Representative McIntyre, Senator McCourty have worked diligently to learn this, and it's complex. So um, healthcare policy is exceptionally uh, complex. I have a bit of of policy-specific training in my background, and I will say there's nothing as complex as the U.S. You know, healthcare system. And yet, I'd say that these two and their colleagues have done exceptional work on getting up the learning curve and into the weeds, because it's in the weeds that uh, everything hides, right? So I have, from the legislative standpoint, a great deal of appreciation um, for Greg and Marcus's work, but also a great deal of faith that I might not have had, you know, five, ten years ago. Wasn't here for that. Wasn't asked to have it. Uh, but I believe they're going to be great conversation partners, uh, problem solvers, and colleagues in this. I do think that our coming up with an Oklahoma plan is vitally important. That we rank 47th makes us different, for instance, than Massachusetts, 
So why would we think that the same sort of take as given Medicaid expansion plan would fit our needs? I don't. I think it's. I think on the face of it, it's illogical. So I think an Oklahoma plan that accommodates our rural population, that accommodates our specific health outcome challenges, it, it's sort of incontrovertibly logical to me that an Oklahoma plan is going to have us at a better spot than a one size fits all. So I'm. You know, I would, I'm encouraged by uh, folks caring a lot about the the, you know, the ballot initiative. I think it's misguided with respect to its potential to actually help. And in its place, I would say that the legislature working with the governor's uh, own team, and I would say that work is hot and heavy right now. So mm-hmm. the governor uh, has, is focused on it. I think the question of reclaiming the federal dollar uh, is essential here because there are things that we can do with it. Um, when I think about training physicians, there are dollars available uh, through that mechanism that simply aren't within our borders. And so we recognize that, again, focus on outcomes and uh, from a process standpoint, with a focus um, on having the patient, uh, everything revolve around uh, making sure that all of our efforts are aimed at those patients, uh, our clients, our customers. Uh, we can get there with an Oklahoma plan, I'm confident. Um, is time of the essence? Absolutely. Uh, we're working against a clock right now, but that's not all bad. Um, the fact that there is a, you know, the initiative out has, has focused our efforts. Uh, this is a huge uh, initiative for Oklahoma. I think an Oklahoma plan gets us where we need to be uh, versus a one size fits all. Uh, and the next probably 90 days are going to be critical to that. And uh, the input of the experts like OSMA will be indispensable to success. Do you think this Oklahoma plan, and I agree with you, if, if we can get the legislature to uh, put forth a quality plan that certainly will uh, involve, if not 100% of those qualified, at least close to 100%, mm-hmm. is important. Do you think that will be rolled out before the end of the year? End of the year is going to be a tight time frame, but I think, uh, and, I, and I wouldn't presume really on the legislative process, but I would it would be hard for me to imagine that we make it all the way through the next legislative session without having some focused outcome around this. Uh, again, the, the ballot initiative will uh, just adds uh, you know an urgency to it, uh, not unwelcome, but it adds an urgency. So I don't know if uh, if calendar 2019 sees a complete policy resolution, but I do I, I can affirm that the governor's sharply focused on this right now, and our collaboration with the legislative working group uh, is strong. And getting stronger by the day. The Oklahoma plan has included Insure Oklahoma, which is a collaborative effort between uh, the insurance company, the employer, the the patient. Um, do you see the Oklahoma plan, including Insure Oklahoma, being able to include a hundred percent of all Oklahomans that would qualify, which means one hundred thirty eight percent of the poverty level? I won't jump in front of the governor just yet on that, or really on the working group as well. I know there's strongly held opinions there, and I think they're they're very close. I'll I'll probably demur just at this okay. moment on uh, on whether we we stop at 100 or get to 138. Um, but I would say the notion that we're all at least aligned and and, and pulling the same direction uh, is notable, um, and we're we're at a very different spot than we were, I think, uh, before. Uh, certainly for inauguration uh, earlier this year. Absolutely. And uh, again, my, my faith in the good efforts of the legislature in conjunction with the governor uh, tell me we're going to get there. So 
one of the other controversial subjects that is being talked about a lot is vaccinations. Sure. And, of course, the health department is directly involved in this. Um, I'm not sure whether you're aware, but in New York State, they just passed a new law that says either vaccinate your child by the first two weeks of starting school, or they have to be homeschooled, they can't even go to private school, or they have to move out of the state of New York. Mm -hmm. Very strict law, the strictest in the country. Mm -hmm. In Oklahoma, we have one of the most liberal Mm -hmm. with multiple reasons for people to be exempted, personal exemptions being number one. Mm -hmm. Do you see that changing? Do you see the, the, the state, the legislature, or the governor? taking any stand or you taking a stand on the importance of vaccinations? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, Dr. Bookman, see that being a near-term objective. I think the larger issues of these demonstrable health outcomes that we have to work on are going to suck most of the oxygen out of the system. And that which isn't directed there is probably going to be on solving this uh, this question of whether to reclaim the federal dollar. So I doubt that we address ourselves much to that. I began our discussion saying that really data has to drive our decision making here. And I would say that applies to all areas uh, where we uh, where we can think we should. Uh, and so, you know, to the extent compelling data emerges in one way or the other in any of these areas, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll listen and be instructed. And I haven't seen compelling data that would tell us that we should focus on, uh, you know, diminishing our, uh, our requirements. I was in Manhattan uh, last week and saw uh, actually, um, you know, it's very difficult to get the word out on the on the, some of these requirements, right? And uh, actually saw handbills that laid out exactly what you said um, because they have a they have a they, they made a significant policy stance on that, uh, and it's it's a real I mean, it's a real approach, and they had a real issue, uh, you know, populations sure. living in that density, uh, proximate as they are, uh, they demonstrated what can happen. Uh, when uh, when a bug breaks free, it's simply it's again it's just science, right? And so, uh, to answer your question, I don't see us probably uh, focusing certainly on a diminution in, in requirements uh, around vaccines, uh, to be sure. But again, we're going we're to let the, the science tell us what, what the best approach is. I'm going to pull out one thing that you said as far as maximizing the federal dollar, getting the dollars to Oklahoma. The governor's made a significant step, I think, uh, that I applaud uh, and supported even before he made the announcement in Oklahoma office in Washington, D.C., to bring back federal dollars, not just dollars for health, Mm -hmm. dollars for the state of Oklahoma. And as you said, we're looking at multiple agencies that are really going to affect the health outcomes from education to agriculture, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit about this Oklahoma office and the plan uh, as to the type of person you might be looking for to go to Washington? Um, I'm, I'm not deep into the recruitment of that individual, but I can tell you if I know the governor, he's going to want a results-oriented person uh, who's been to the end zone before. Uh, it won't be a first-timer if I'm suspecting, if I'm if I'm judging. Uh, and you know what? It's so critical. Most of the time, what these federal dollars do is they leverage what we have, uh, and they simply put a multiplier on it. And sometimes it's a it's an actual multiplier, nine to one, seven to three, some. But in in almost every case, it's a psychological multiplier as well. And when we think, I'll, I'll take as an example, uh, you know, health education or uh, health information 
exchange that we're keen to get health information uh, consolidated. Uh, we're keen to use data, as I suggested. Well, the development of an HIE, health information exchange, uh, is a federal priority. And so there are dollars available to match our rather meager resources. When we say reclaim the federal dollar, I use reclaim because we've sent them to Washington anyway. Yeah. Uh, when I say reclaim the federal dollar for that end, it doesn't take us off the hook. It's not just taking federal largesse, but it's it, it literally is le leveraging those dollars that we either appropriate or otherwise come up with within our borders with federal dollars. And you can simply get outcomes for our citizens by doing that in ways you can't otherwise do. And so uh, there are many ways to do that, even outside the scope of Medicaid expansion, as an example. Uh, but when we can do that, we're going to try to avail ourselves to it. As you've suggested, this happens across the board for workforce development. Uh, everything from agriculture to corrections uh, has a component. And so that we not be in the mix uh, seems illogical. And I think, again, the governor says if this is a resource and it's a competitive world we live in, to sort of sit back and not acknowledge to say we're not going to we're not going to field a player, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter, uh, that seems to be uh, the sort of uh, defeatist attitude that this governor I can tell you isn't going to live with. Uh, so maybe just a first step, who knows? But getting a competent individual there mm -hmm. who knows the people uh, on the hill, who knows the agency, who knows where to look at it, such again that we can leverage what we have in the state. It's not. Uh, pork barrel on the one hand, it's not you know growing a federal government dependency, it's just smart business to leverage dollars that you have with dollars available that, by the way, you've already sent in to DC. Absolutely. One of the ways that we can look now at dollars is the recent opioid decision. Uh, the state will eventually receive uh, almost $900 million. Um, our incarcerated population mm -hmm is the seventh largest community in Oklahoma. Um, mental health is a major problem in the incarcerated population. I really have two questions. Mm -hmm. One, do you see mental health receiving the majority of that 900 million for programs to be used on the incarcerated uh, mental health patients as well as the state? Mm -hmm. And the second is, is the uh, at the federal level, there's a lot of discussion of uh, commuting sentences mm -hmm. um, for people with nonviolent mm -hmm. offenses, drug offenses, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. Do you see the state approaching that? Sure. Let me take those in reverse order. Um, folks may not be aware, but our drug court system in Oklahoma is cracking good. And so it's small. Uh, and in some respects, you could even call it pilot with respect to its proportion that it can actually address itself to in our large and growing incarcerated population. But it works. I think our outcomes show that a, a specific adjudication through a drug court in recognition of the fact that these are nonviolent offenders, who in many cases, if you think about our female incarcerated population and their percentage that have to do with a drug offense, it's off the charts. And if you walk back through personal histories, as, as many good folks in our state have done, uh, and look at the circumstances that led there, I think any of us who have a compassionate bone in our body would say that we are for personal responsibility. Absolutely. There are circumstances which tip the scales uh, sharply against some of these particularly young women. So in recognition of that, I think these uh, first steps we've made 
in the development of drug courts are exactly a direction that I think the smartest among uh, the thinkers around here will point us. And so whether it is sort of a diminution in the, in the, uh, in the sentencing guidelines or not, I'm not sure if we go there, that, that's for someone else to think about. But the notion that we have creative approaches like drug courts, I think, is indispensable to that population. Now, parlaying that into the first part of your question about mental health, um, if we track, as we started to really think hard about it, if we, as we track through uh, the experience, even when someone leaves incarceration, well, if he leaves with a mental health diagnosis, what are his odds of success coming out? I mean, the, the odds anyway of succeeding out of out of incarceration are, are passingly low, but when you do so uh, with an addiction or with a, a mental health diagnosis, uh, it's a tough journey. So step one, see if we can lower the incarceration rate, and those we can do through these other, these other approaches. But it's a targeted population that are leaving incarceration with substance abuse history and mental health diagnosis and history. Will we be focusing on that like a laser? Um, now, to the extent to which we're going to direct uh, dollars, some of that will be legislative uh, prerogative, but insofar as the governor is concerned about that, uh, again, when we think about how we combine forces on that, it's Chip Keating, uh, my colleague on the, on the uh, cabinet, under his purview, Department of Corrections falls, myself, um, Mike Rogers, uh, Secretary of State, we're thinking about that collaboratively. And again, putting ourselves in the position of that individual coming through, again, when we think about a customer, a client, a patient, that's the person that we have to address ourselves to. Uh, when we do that well, it helps their flourishing and it saves the state money. And if we can do both of those things over and over and over again, we start to make the outcome. Yeah, we can change a lot if we can affect mental health, especially on the incarcerated patients, and decrease incarceration of nonviolent offenders. That's going to save them the state money up front, sure. and it will add to the productive population of Oklahoma if we can help those with mental health problems and set up good programs that they can access. Uh, when you get into mental health, we recently passed uh, probably the most liberal law in the United States on marijuana. Um, other states have seen a lot of uh, problems once they passed marijuana laws from auto accidents, um, uh, other problems related to overdoses, etc. Not from the marijuana, but from drugs that may be laced in the marijuana mm -hmm. that people don't know about, but a lot of issues. From a health standpoint, what do you see for the state of Oklahoma? We've got a lot of work to do. Um, it was the express will of the people, uh, and so certainly uh, the question of whether you know walk back uh, that uh, that initiative is not the one that we're trying to solve. What we're trying to solve is, given that expressed will, how do we set up structures uh, that assure that what folks were actually voting for, medical marijuana, and not recreational, is what we actually have. I would say it's very early days. Um, we alluded to the fact that we have a new commissioner of health in Oklahoma, Gary Cox. Part of his brief is thinking well and hard about medical marijuana and the structures that are yet to be put in place. Things like testing. Um, you know, a lot of these questions aren't settled 
nationwide? You know, is this, uh, where does this fall? Is it more like a food? Is it more like a drug? All these sort of issues, what happens when it's put into a different form? Uh, I heard of some very interesting forms uh, recently uh, where it would neither be uh, ingested uh, nor smoked uh, nor otherwise eaten, and I'll leave it to your imagination on how uh, you know how else it might be accessed. Um, but those are those are vexing questions for which there's not a policy regime right now. So we have a lot of work to do, I would say, on that, um, and we're going to be focused on it in the next six months. Uh, and I know some folks are, are impatient with that, but the, the simple fact is we had we had a declaration and didn't have any of the structure behind it. Uh, and so that's that's not as much a critique as it is a um, just a characterization of where we sit right now. So there's work yet to be done, to be sure. We're taking that very seriously. We're not going to try to walk back again uh, the expression of, of popular opinion. Um, but once again, we're going to try to let science and data guide how we put up these structures um, because that's part of the role of public health, right, is to use the very best uh, that we know to be the outcomes uh, and put in place some protections uh, that, that put guardrails up for what we ought not not to. And we have seen changes already. Um, the new 60-day rule for a marijuana certificate rather than automatic two years, uh, I think is an important first step. Uh, but what we also have in this state that needs to be looked at, and hopefully it will be, um, is physicians aren't trained. I wasn't trained on marijuana. Um, it's still not a federally approved drug. It's still uh, category one, uh, schedule one, and therefore not really being researched uh, to any extent. Um, we're trying to get the federal government to change that. But on the other hand, at this point, people are going to dispensaries and the dispensaries are deciding what they should get. And these are untrained people. Uh, we recently heard of patients with glaucoma being told, oh, this is good for glaucoma. Well, that's not exactly true. If you look at the literature, most marijuana will increase the pressure of the eye and permanently damage. So we have untrained people. Do we see the day when we start at least having some parameters of what the dispensaries can say, um, can advertise and promote to people going in who, quite honestly, are unaware of the side effects. Sure. I think it is in the public's interest that we do so. Uh, and again, that's not to issue any sort of broad edict, uh, nor to presuppose what those might look like. Um, but to put your question more starkly, do we intend from a policy standpoint to simply let it go as it is today? Uh, that, that would not, I think, be fulfilling our mandate uh, as public health professionals if we were to do that. So I think there's there's more to come that will address some of those issues. It's on us if if we allow misinformation or a information vacuum uh, to imperil citizens. That's on us. And so um, so much of the work to come in the next six months, I think, is aimed at specifically those sorts of things that you uh, that you asked us uh, to have untrained individuals in any context uh, dealing with substances that have material impact on, on folks' well-being, uh, that's never a good condition. Um, and, I, and so there, I think that is one of the roles uh, of governments to make sure that we, we, uh, we think well about public health. Uh, and some of that um, you know, can cause people uncomfort at times, discomfort. Um, but again, it's part of our brief. 
we've talked on during this time uh, misinformation, education, they all sort of go hand in hand, personal responsibility, um, and you brought up at the very beginning, and I've waited to the end to talk about this, but that's on metrics and on the measurement of outcomes and what we're going to look at. We know that Oklahoma leads the country in obesity. We know that it leads the country in smoking, although it has improved with TSED. We know that it leads the country in a lot of poor health outcome areas that all have to do with nutrition, obesity, exercise. It's all personal choice. Do you see a program that the governor is going to support or the state is going to roll out that will help to improve personal choices? Oh, sure. That's a that's a great question. I think, you know, the, when you talk about data, um, if we're going to be data-centered or allow data to drive our, our choices, it has to be recent and applicable. And there I think about research. I think about the research agenda. Um, you know, if we're going to use data, make it relevant. And so here I, I would, I would let, me, let me pick out one of the, the governor's identified objectives. It is around childhood obesity. Okay, so of, uh, there are some very targeted things we're going to do, I alluded to, that I think have very palpable near-term uh, wins. Opioid, with our recent settlement dollars coming in, uh, you know, the establishment of the, the center up the road, and research that will be attendant to that as well as patient care, we're going to make some near-term gains around the opioid issue in Oklahoma. I'm confident in that. Then there are some longer-term, seemingly intractable issues that we're going to take up, and I would put childhood obesity in one of those. In fact, um, a lot of, in the policy circles, folks will just say, don't even, don't bother. That one's in, that was well and truly a bridge too far. I don't think it is, but here's how we have to think about it. Um, we have to use data. Uh, we have to leverage research, and it has to be applicable to us, not broadly. And so here I would I would call out one of your own, uh, Ashley Whedon, uh, one of your own physicians, a member I'm, I'm sure uh, from an esteemed family. But in sitting down and talking to Dr. Whedon about research that she has done over here at OU with tribal partners within our borders, we have live, actionable, real-time data around what is it we're to do about childhood obesity that may in fact differ from even 10 years ago? So using 10 year ago messaging uh, knowledge, it's not enough simply to say, well, you need to, uh, you know, kids need to consume fewer calories and move more. Well, is that sufficient? Is that instructive? Is that, is that what we want to arm a pediatrician or a school nurse or a school lunch program officer with and say, go forth and prosper with respect to our families? Probably not. But Ashley and colleagues have the latest data on what works, what doesn't work, and not in some faraway place, but in populations like ours because they are ours within the borders of Oklahoma. Well, as we think about how we approach a, such a daunting issue as childhood obesity, we're going to lean on experts that are right here, homegrown, but world-class. Uh, and so, in fact, conversations are ongoing with Dr. Whedon and her team about how is it that this governor should approach childhood obesity that might be different than before, what dollars are necessary to do it, and what is the latest thing you'd have learned on what we should do differently than we've done before. That's going to be the approach. Uh, that's, I think, how we start to make what can appear to be distant research actionable, applicable today, 
to our populations to increase the health outcomes. And Dr. Whedon is definitely a star, and I'm glad to hear that she's involved and that you're listening because the listening part has been the problem oftentimes in the past. Mm -hmm. um, the physicians, Oklahoma State Medical Association and its members have always been involved, but we haven't always been listened. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so and, and we I haven't been heard. Yeah, well, she, she can explain it in a way that I can understand it, which means she has a special gift. She does. Well, I appreciate you being here. We've touched on a lot of health-related subjects. Do you have any last words you want to impart to our listeners? Well, I would say uh, we can't get this done. Uh, none of these outcomes improve uh, without our physician community. So thank you for what you've done and leadership here at the Oklahoma State Medical Association. It's absolutely indispensable. Um, we have a, a rich history of physician involvement and policy in Oklahoma. And I think that only increases as these coming days uh, and the challenges are in front of us. We cannot do it without the physician community. So thank you for what you've done. Uh, and to the extent we have begun to listen well, uh, my commitment is we do that even better in days ahead. I look forward to the days ahead and working with not only the governor and you, but the Oklahoma State Medical Association and my successors to be able to improve the state's health outcomes and with that, I'm going to say good day. I appreciate everybody who listened today. I hope this was informative, and I look forward to other interviews in the future with the health of Oklahoma. Thank you. Learn more at okmed.org and on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Have a question for Dr. Bookman? Email him at osmatalks at okmed.org. Okay